Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Heman. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Thank you for joining us today for our premiere episode of India Fintech Diaries. I'm Elroy, joined by my co-host Hemant. India is now one of the largest fintech markets in the world today, and we thought it's about time we have a podcast specifically focused on the Indian fintech market. We thought we'd kickstart things by looking at the hottest sector in fintech today, neobanking. With over $200 million raised in funding in India so far, this segment is fast gaining mind space both for consumers and investors. We are going to cover neobanking as a two-part series. In the first part, we are going to cover the basics. We are going to explain or provide you an overview of the neobanking landscape in India. And in the second part, we will speak to one of the hottest neobanks in India and understand how they see the market. Now for this session, Elroy, how about we start with the basics? What is a neobank? And how does India's version of neobank definition differ from the global definition and why? Yeah, that's a good place to start, Hemant. Uh, if you look at the term neobank, it's a fairly recent term and it really came into prominence uh, maybe from around 2017. And today it's now generally used to refer to both fintechs and challenger banks that are offering banking services through both dig- to digital means, often without any uh, traditional bank branches. Now, if you dig a little uh, deeper into that definition and uh, look at how this is actually being actualized in the market today. You have three distinct models that emerge uh, or types of neobanks that emerge. Now, the first are typically digitally o- digital-only direct banks launched by an existing bank that offer banking services through, say, a mobile app. Uh, in the Indian context, Digibank by DBS or Kotak 811 are excellent examples of this kind of bank. The second kind of neobank is a digital-only challenger bank that's been uh, slightly more successful than the first model and that typically has its own banking license. Globally, neobanks like Atom, Monzo, and N26 fall in this category. And finally, you have the last category, which is the over-the-top or the OTT model, where a fintech partners with a bank to offer banking services riding on the bank's license. Again, in Indian context, uh, neobanks like Neo and Open are some examples that fit into this model. Now, actually, if you look at uh, almost uh, the 15-odd new banks that have been announced or are in the process of being launched or have already been launched, most of them fall in this last model. And uh, this is partly due to the fact that the regulatory structure in India is very different from the West to Southeast Asia. Uh, uh, to understand this in the Indian context, uh, let's start understanding the Indian banking landscape first and the types of licenses that are today available. Indian banking used to have three main categories of banks, which were scheduled commercial banks, non-scheduled commercial banks, and cooperative banks. Now, in addition to these, as the outcome of the Nachiket Moore Committee that was constituted in 2013, two more licenses, which, uh, namely payment banks and small finance banks, or SFPs, were introduced. Payment banks and SFPs were originally intended to be more digital in presence uh, to cater to, uh, uh, to a larger segment of the population. But uh, as per the regulation, they still needed to have some financial access points that would be available to rural customers. Now, this meant that any fintech aspiring to be a challenger bank and uh, would necessarily have to set up some kind of brick and mortar infrastructure, even under these new licenses. And being a digital only bank in India was simply not an option. 
And then to further complicate matters, only the slightly wider SFP license was made available on tap by the regulator, leading to difficulty for aspiring challengers to easily get a license to even operate a digital bank. True, true. Due to this lack of availability of pure virtual or digital banking license in India, today's startup new banks in India only have one viable route to market. That is to partner with existing banks. Now, some incumbent banks such as ICICI, RBL, IDFC First and Yes Bank have actually capitalized on this opportunity and offered excellent API stack which have been able to bring new banking use cases to life by offering their APIs. Now, if you look at the partnership, the partnership is governed by an outsourcing arrangement which the new bank and the bank gets into, wherein the contract will define the revenue sharing, activity distribution and customer ownership arrangements. So in spite of these regulatory hurdles, over the past few years, the space has seen increased traction with multiple players launching or in the process of launching new banks. The new banks that have emerged can be broken down into the ones that are targeting the retail side and the ones that are targeting the MSME side. So let's take the retail segment first. Uh, your new banks uh, look largely at powering two distinct propositions in my opinion. First being uh, products targeted at the underserved segment or new to bank segments. And the second targeted at providing a differentiated experience to customers that are already banked. Now let's take the first set of uh, use cases that typically look at uh, the underserved segments. And here a variety of themes start emerging. Uh, the way I would look at it is two major themes which are either financial inclusion or financial literacy. Now under the financial inclusion theme, you have uh, banks like uh, Yellow and Neo that are looking to enable uh, digital accounts for blue collar workers, which is uh, which which has traditionally been an underserved segment. And they do this by providing this uh, these blue collar workers with savings, remittance and microcredit products. At the other end of the spectrum, under the financial literacy themes, you have new banks looking to educate uh, young India on both spending and saving digitally. Innovative offerings from new banks like Walrus and Fampay that are targeted at teenagers are driving some of this activity in this segment. And many of these uh, fintechs are actually back, uh, backed by fairly marquee investors like Matrix, Matrix Partners India and Sequoia Capital. Now, if you go to the next category of uh, new banks, you have a large set of new banks that are offering to offer very differentiated offerings to existing banking customers. And they typically focus on the millennial or Gen Z segments. Each of them seems to be taking a very different approach to the market. Now, let's take Neo, for example, that also has an offering that targets this segment. When it launched, it actually went the way of Revolut, where it started with a travel-focused offering uh, that offered a savings account with a zero forex markup card. Uh, on which you were charged no currency conversion charges for any overseas spends. Now, this was initially launched with DCB, and now in the latest iteration, they further expanded their offering. The new new offering with IDFC First, for example, brings a fabulous 7% interest on the account, coupled with, zero, with the zero forex markup. In addition to this, Neo has also made recent acquisitions in Gold, uh, in a uh, wealth management firm uh, called Goldwise that has enabled them to further uh, expand the offering and let uh, let customers invest in mutual funds and stocks. And that's really shaping new into a very well-rounded player in the space. Now, if you look at other firms like OneCard, they are possibly looking to emulate uh, Nubank from Brazil by first entering the market with a credit card offering. Matrix Indian Secure Capital funded OneCard introduces a revolutionary metal credit card with market-leading features like 5x reward points, completely digital onboarding, and a card control app. This, uh, this card is launched with partnership with IDFC first and will definitely be interesting to watch them in the future to see if they expand to savings like a new bank did in Brazil. 
Now, along with these uh, neobank fintech startups, we also have uh, several more which are lined up to be launched in the retail segment, like Jupiter, that's led by the very experienced Chitendra Gupta, who founded Citrus Pay, or Epify, which is founded by Googlers and backed by Sequoia, Ribbit Capital, and Hillhouse Capital. And uh, lastly, you have the traditional banks that are also looking at expanding to having a digital-only brand. Uh, Digibank from DBS was, in some sense, the first true neobank from that segment, and was very closely followed by Kotak Mahindra Bank's 811 and SPI's Yono. Uh, these models have seen some success in how they've been able to attract new customers to these banks. In fact, SPI's chairman recently suggested that had Yono been a standalone uh, digital bank, it probably would have been valued at over $40 billion today. $40 billion. Ooh, That's a pretty high amount, right? But that's not a surprise, is it, Elroy? But when you look at, because when you look at the retail market, it is pretty understandable. You land in India and you see so many of us. But it is the commercial side of the story, which is difficult to see. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint a picture with the number to show you the size of the price. India has 75 million MSMEs. MSME stands for micro, small and medium scale enterprises. Now, these 75 million MSMEs contribute 38% of India's GDP and have a credit gap of colossal $380 billion. Let that number sink in. Now, if you look at this massive opportunities, the SME neo banks to exploit this opportunity have, are, are targeting this particular segment by the size of the MSME. Now, if you look at the government definition, government breaks this segment into micro, small and medium. And I'm going to take a liberty and add one more section, which is mini. Now, if you look at mini, minis will have turnovers under $130,000 in a year. Micro would have $680,000 in a year. Small will have $6.5 million under that, that number in a year. And medium would have under $34 million in a year. Now, if you look at the mini segment and help, to help you understand, let me paint a picture of the mini segment. Now, these would be the newspaper guy, the milk guy, the bread vendor who delivers things at your home, which is kind of a subscription, not said subscription, but kind of a subscription. So the service offered to them is that they want to collect recurring payment every month and the invoicing needs to be delivered to the customers. Now, these are the kind of services which players like Spider-G are offering and catering to them. Now, the next category, which is very exciting now in India, is the small neighborhood grocery stores. These are also called Kiranas in India. And now the tech or the startups serving them are also called Kirana Tech. Extremely exciting and extremely exciting market to be in. Now, for these micro MSMEs, they are being targeted with a mobile first solution, right? Now, these mobile first solutions, what they are offering is these mobile solutions can be used by them to manage their own books, supply chains, and the credit that they are offering to their own customers. Now, when they are using this for that purpose, the, the companies that are offering these also are getting access to their cash flow data, which can be further leveraged to provide working capital loans to these guys. Now, players in this segment, which is the Kirana Tay segment, do not call themselves neobanks, but they can turn into a neobank any day. Now, this segment is played by someone like a Khata book, or a OK credit, and they're very well funded. Khada Book has raised about $87 million and counts Y Combinator, Sequoia, Tencent, DST Global, B Capital, and Unilever Ventures amongst its investors. On the other side, OK Credit, that has raised about $84.9 million, counts YC, which is Y Combinator, Tiger Global, and Lightspeed, and few others as investors. Right Now, the next segment, which I'm really, really excited about, is a small and medium segment within which 
it is the higher end of the small or the entire medium part of the story right now these players are extremely digital savvy now but they are not happy with the services that they have been getting with the business banking services of the traditional banks right now this is the segment where players like open and razor pay are playing and the focus if you see elroy and our dear listeners is that the solution being offered to these category is is the objective of it is to offer one single place where they can manage their entire business the services would include accounting invoicing tracking payables and receivables expense management and banking and it is a continuously increasing list right the focus here is they would become the single place where the businessman goes and manages entire business and these solutions on the back integrate with a bank as elroy had already pointed out in the earlier discussion right now in this particular segment open has been one of the front runners it started with icici bank is as the banking provider but now has expanded to multiple banks it has raised about 36.3 million dollars and is uh, backed by tiger global angel list speed invest b next and unicorn india ventures amongst its investors and it also has a very strong lineup of angel investors backing it now if you look at this segment one more thing which comes out is because they are offering these services and they have access to the cash flow data they can use that data to offer credit products as well to their customers which could be an entrepreneurs card or could be an working capital loan to their customers now in addition to the players that we have discussed there are many more who have lined up and are trying to enter this segment and they are entering with a anchor product which could be an account payable or receivable or a commercial card or a invoice combined with reconciliation which is especially beneficial to msmes that are selling across multiple marketplaces or platforms or work or are working as an aggregator now when you look at uh, our discussion amongst retail and msme both the new banks the play has been that they have started with an anchor product for their particular customer segment after that the goal it seems for nearly all of them and that is our read of the things is that they want to ensure the financial well being of the customers all round that means they are going to add services which will be either developed by them in house or they are going to create play stores and tie up with third parties with the services of which can be used by their own customers so the next obvious question that comes up after all this is how do the new bank actually make money and i think the short answer is probably not very differently from a traditional bank the long answer is obviously slightly more nuanced like a traditional bank uh, new banks also make the revenue from interest income transactional income and fee based income now under interest income typically this might be just interest earned on the float balances which is basically the balances left in the account that earn overnight interest and for many lending that the new bank would do uh next uh, new banks make money from interchange income that they earn from digital transactions either online or offline uh, at the post machine now this revenue stream might be slightly compressed because of recent regulations around uh, uh, mdr being made uh, literally zero and so on in the country and finally fee based revenue that can come from many different forms ranging from subscription fees charged to customers and well as referral fees earned for cross selling of products like credit wealth and insurance of course this partnership uh, model that is more prevalent in india where uh, fintechs partner with banks introduces several variations in this overall revenue model for example uh, some new banks actually share in the float income that the bank earns while others are content with just keeping interchange the interchange amount and letting go of float income in other cases the fee sharing for transaction and referral based income may be more nuanced and tied to who actually onboards the customer whether it's a new bank or the banking partner So due to the lack of any standardized regulatory structure that uh, actually splits these revenues between the new bank and the partner bank uh the entire uh, revenue structure actually varies and depends on the bilateral contract between them uh, 
and which actually brings up to the next question Neeman maybe you can sh- uh, shed some light on what other countries are doing to promote neo banks and how india can learn from them you're right when you look at multiple jurisdiction there is a clear understanding and agreement that neo banks are raising the bar when it comes to financial inclusion innovation and customer services but all of these advantages needs to be balanced by ensuring that the consumer is protected at all times now currently the structure that we see the neo banks are operating under two different guidelines right one is the outsourcing guideline the other is the business correspondent license which they leverage to conduct kyc on behalf of their partner banks now in the current step or the current setup the entire responsibility of regulatory compliance lies with the partner bank now since these are still very early days but if you look at the global markets uh, many regulators are approaching it in one of the two ways one way is that they have created a new separate license for digital banks only the second option is they have tweaked the existing banking license framework and then applying the same to digital banks there are countries such as hong kong singapore and south korea that have already issued their digital banking frameworks while there are countries like malaysia and philippines which are in the process of it now when you look at the same point from the neo banking point of view what i believe is for the neo banks which are slightly ahead in the curve that means they have already built the customer the trust with their customers and have a critical gained a critical mass they would like to acquire a digital banking license and work as a full bank because they don't want to share the revenue with the banks now but on the other side the new banks which are slightly late to the story or have just started what they would prefer is not bearing the cost of regulatory compliance right which is continuously rising and it is a matter of concern even for the traditional bank now the jury is still out on this particular point and we'll have to see, see how it shapes up but is going to be very very exciting so i guess the indian regulators can definitely pick up some some of these points to help further promote the sector in india and i think that's going to be especially important as we grapple with the after effects of the global pandemic in fact in my estimation the pandemic will in all likelihood change the way we consume financial services further cementing the need for digitally delivered services and we're seeing some of these preference shifts already in the way accounts are opened and how services are delivered India also has probably the largest population of Gen Zs in the world and many of them are now entering the workforce and i think therefore we can expect a very fierce competition to capture this new digitally savvy cohort of customers these two twin shifts in consumer preference and demographics will definitely help push demand for new banking or digital banking services in the immediate future but as competition intensifies in the next year or two i guess we can expect some consolidation as only the really well funded fintechs uh, uh, survive and those banks that get the execution right manage to capture the market share in our coming episodes we'll definitely delve into more aspects of what's changing for new banks and the fintech landscape in general in india so dear fellow fintech aficionados i hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as we have enso- enjoyed making it do tune into our next episode as we continue to demystify various aspect of the indian fintech landscape thank you